From Matthew 22, listen for the word of the Lord. When the Pharisees heard that he had silenced the Sadducees, they gathered together, and one of them, an expert in the law, asked him a question to test him. Teacher, which commandment in the law is the greatest? He said to him, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. This is the greatest and first commandment. And the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments hang all the law and the prophets. And from Matthew 25, when the Son of Man comes in his glory and all the angels with him, and he will sit on the throne of his glory, all the nations will be gathered before him and he will separate people one from another as a shepherd separates the sheep and the goats. He will put the sheep at his right hand and the goats at his left. And the king will say to those at his right hand, Come, you who are blessed by my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. For I was hungry, and you gave me food. I was thirsty, and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger, and you welcomed me. I was naked, and you gave me clothing. I was sick, and you took care of me. I was in prison, and you came to visit me. Then the righteous will answer, Lord, when was it that we saw you hungry and gave you food or thirsty and gave you something to drink? And when was it that we saw you, a stranger, and welcomed you or naked and gave you clothing? And when was it that we saw you sick? Or when were you in prison and we visited you? And the king will answer them, Truly I tell you, when you did it unto the one, one of the least of these brothers and sisters of mine, you did it unto me. And from Matthew 28, Jesus said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And remember, I am with you always to the end of the age. The word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. Matthew 22, love God, love people. Matthew 25, when you've done it unto the least of these, you've done it unto me. Matthew 28, go, make disciples of all nations, baptizing them and teaching them. It's a threefold uh, missional trilogy, really. Matthew 22, Matthew 25, Matthew 28. I hope today, by the time that you leave, maybe you have received that and you'll work with that this week, or maybe you'll adopt it as an own, a model for you and for your family. It certainly is for the church as we think about this fourth core value of mission and service. Love God, love people. Pretty straightforward. How do we do that? By feeding and quenching and clothing and visiting and welcoming. And then once we've done it in close proximity, then we go into all the world all the world to make a difference. So these directives that Jesus is giving his disciples, they're not directives to solely be memorized. He's giving actionable tasks for disciples to do. He's telling them how to be the church. Think about it this way. Um, If you tell your child to go clean her room, and she comes back just a couple of minutes later and says, I'm done, I'm finished. What do you mean you're finished? You didn't have long enough to do it. She says, no, I I memorized what you said. (laughs) 
What do you mean you memorized what I said? Well, you said go clean my room. I, I memorized that part. But yeah, but did you actually clean your room? No, I just memorized what you said. Some of you parents are looking around like, I've got to change my strategy. That's what's happening, right? Yeah. So when Jesus says love God and, and love people, it's fun to memorize that. Quote it. Make a sermon out of it. Matthew 25, feed, quench, clothe, visit, welcome. Matthew 28, go and make disciples of all nations. We've got it. We've memorized it. What does it mean to do it? Because it's not for flashcard memorization, but for Christian application, for the transformation of the world. Are we doing the faith faithfully? Audrey read a text from Isaiah 58. It's the Old Testament lection for this week. And um, last week was the Micah text. The Micah says, what does God require of people? God requires of people to do justice, to love mercy, and to walk humbly. Sort of picks up on that this week. We've been working with that in our Bible studies this week. Specific to the fast. I don't know if you picked up on that. In the early part of, of the Isaiah reading, it says... Why do you fast? God is asking people, why, do, why is it that you, you fast? You give up something? Is it to, to check a box? Is it to be ceremonially and liturgically intact with God? Is it just because I told you to that that's why you're doing it? You're going through the motions. Why this? And then the text shifts. Did you hear it? It's kind of like the reason that we don't just memorize Scripture, we apply it for the transformation of the world. What is the fast that the Lord requires? We fast from something for what purpose? In this case, to, loose, to loosen bonds, to take away the yoke of oppression, to give some bread to someone who's hungry, to welcome the homeless back home. That's the purpose of a fast. That's the purpose of what it means to be God's people. Information is one thing. We're in it for the transformation of the world. It can begin with a little food or a visit or a card. It begins with mission and service. That's our core value, number four. The full narrative says we believe our responsibility, that's a big word, our responsibility to others extends to those beyond our walls. We value service and outreach and generosity as we share with, care for, and support those in need within our community and afar. That's our, that's our fourth core value. We're a biblically focused Christian community that practices faithful stewardship so that we can lock arms together in mission and in service. We do it prayerfully. That's our fifth core value. And then we celebrate it to the glory of God, reverent worship. That's our sixth core value. We have two, two left to go if you're keep, keep, keeping count. <laughs> So at our core, we're biblically focused. We do life together in Christian community. That word community means with unity. We practice faithful stewardship, not fearful stewardship of our prayers and our presence, our gifts, our service, and our witness. The vows we hear each time someone joins this church. The vows we say each time someone joins this church. We're renewing a covenant. And so today... As Christians in the United Methodist family of this local church, we celebrate that we practice mission and service. We have for 193 years organized on September 15th, 1829. It, it was its own act of mission and service to a city that was barely 10 years old. 
We've grown up together with our city. But one of our maybe our first act, our organizational act, was to be in service to our city. That's a missional identity worth protecting and passing on to future generations. We've, we've been through a lot. It's not always been an easy journey. The secular and the sacred, they collide sometimes. They work together more often than not, and still do. But we've remained together by focusing on mission and service and remaining at this table together for 193 years. And we pray the same prayer every time we break the Lord's Supper together. We say, by your spirit, say this with me, make us one with Christ, one with each other, and what? One in ministry to the whole world. Let's start in our zip code. Let's start today. By praying together and staying together and serving together, we discover the Holy Spirit together and we cast vision together and we can accomplish anything for the kingdom of God together, but without any one of you, we are not whole. At this table, we, we receive the nourishment we need to change the world. We have for 193 years. All these years later, and our DNA is more than memorization of information, it's mobilization toward missional transformation. That's a lot of words. But countless ministries in our city, countless ministries around the world are the result of our family falling to our knees and breaking a little bread saying, Lord, here I am, send me. Here we are, send us. So from Clay Street to Redbird Mission in Kentucky to Moss Point, Mississippi to North Pass to Quito and Belize and Jamaica and Estonia, the world is aware of mission and service as our core value. And the thing is, they're, they're part of our core identity now. We're part of their identity now. They need us. We need them. They need all of us, not part of us, because our stories are not whole without one another. And today, already as we prepare our hearts, our, our minds, our souls, our bodies, for our relationships, for coming forward to this meal. What else might God reveal to us by staying together at this table? What's next? You know, Jesus' disciples asked him a question about presence and proximity. Did you, did you hear that? They said, when was it that we saw you? I think that's a fear of missing out question or fear that they had missed out question, if I'm being honest. Wait a minute. You were somewhere and we were there and we didn't see you. You were out there and we missed you. How dare we have been so busy that we missed you? How dare we have been so preoccupied or parochial, or panicky or impatient that we missed you? The other day, I was visiting um, some folks up in North Alabama. I'd spent some time at UAB, and I was making the, the afternoon drive back from, uh, from Birmingham, and I was coming down uh, I-65. And have you ever had one of these moments where you're, you're just driving along, and you have the hum of, of the car on the road and all that, and all of a sudden you say, where am I? <laughs> I don't remember the last three mile markers. Have you ever done that? It was one of those moments. 
And so I, I came on into town, I got around the interstate, and I got up here to, um, to Five Points, up there by Baker's Framing and Winn-Dixie. You know the Five Point. It's a religious experience if you haven't been up there in a while at that intersection. And I'm zoned out. Two hands, ten and two, and, and there I am, just locked in, thinking about all that I had to do next when I got back to the office. And when I arrived, I had two messages on my phone. The first of which said, hey, just passed you, waved and blew the horn and you never budged. <laughs> the second of which said, hey, uh, we waved, we all were waving at you with the windows down and you looked straight ahead and you never moved. I never, I didn't see them. I missed that moment in, in traffic to see the face of someone else who cared enough to get my attention and to flag me down and then to follow up nonetheless. Where was it that we saw you, Lord? Because today I was so busy and I, I guess I just missed you. Where was it that I saw you, Lord? Because, you know, there's been so much stress these days with church stuff, denominational stuff. I guess I was just a bit unsettled and not being myself, and I'm sorry that I missed you, but how could I have missed you? I mean, you're the Lord. One writer reminds us Jesus gets awfully specific in telling us where we need to look, where we can find Christ. And she mentions the habitations listed in Matthew 25, and those are marked by loss and lack. Loss or lack of food, it's hunger. Loss or lack of water, it's a, it's a parched throat, mouth, dry mouth. Just Loss or lack of, of hospitality, loss or lack of clothing, loss or lack of, of health, loss or lack of, of freedom. And Christ comes not in the form of those who visit the imprisoned, but in the imprisoned being cared for. Not so much embodied in the ones who, who feed, but in the act of feeding and the breaking of bread, the great mystery we claim as part of this Eucharist. It makes me wonder about a theology of loss and lack. I've been wrestling with that a lot, praying through it. A theology of loss and lack, neither of which are appealing in a culture where more is more and where control of that abundance is deemed the measure of what it must mean to be blessed. And I lay that alongside something else Jesus said, that those who love their lives in this world will lose it, and those who lose their lives in this world for my sake will gain it for all eternity. Somehow the space between lacking and gaining, the space between losing and finding is where Christ is. It's the space where the church, the living body of Christ, keeps residence not solely in here, but out where there's hunger and thirst and exposure and loneliness and waywardness, and those become intersections of the human and the divine. We just prayed this prayer of confession, really. We have not been an obedient church. We have not loved our neighbors. We have not heard the cry of the needy. It's a pouring out, an emptying. We have not been all these things, Lord. We have not been like Matthew 22 and Matthew 25 and, and Matthew 28. So forgive us, we pray, and free us for joyful obedience.
Because it's only in taking on, taking off the yoke of this world and putting on the yoke of Christ that we are truly free by serving others. What do you think the missional legacy is that we're leaving for our children and our grandchildren? Right now, in just a, a few minutes or so, our youth group, it's about 140 youth and workers who were coming back from winter retreat. There's a lot of power in that. That's the direction and the future of our church. I've had in mind our children and our youth for this entire sermon series that these are their core values too. And that everything we're doing and thinking about right now has our future in mind. I also kind of practice two mantras when challenges arise. One is grow your way out of a crisis and serve your way out of a crunch. I love that. Because to lose sight of mission is to lose sight of Jesus. And so we ask, where is it that we saw you, Lord? For 193 years, we have peeked into our community and we have asked as a congregation a very simple question. What needs to be done right now that if the church doesn't step up, it will not happen? It's a great question. It's a missional question. And the answer to that question has led us to launch things like Nellie Burge. It's now Mary Ellen's heart as part of Embrace Alabama Kids. And it, it's a safe refuge for children and mothers who are in compromising situations. That ministry began in, in 1903. It's still part of who we are. And you all know that we founded the uh, Samaritan Counseling Center right here from our campus as a way of combating the mental health needs and addressing the mental health needs here in our city. I, I cannot say enough about the work the tremendous frontline work that Samaritan is doing each and every day. Our city is better because of them. We helped launch Habitat and Rebuilding Together, and those are Matthew 22 and Matthew 25 ministries, and Respite, of course, was a direct result of asking that question. If we don't step up and do something about Alzheimer's and dementia for caregivers and, and participants, who will? And now, for the very first time, it begins today, there's a a Respite for All Foundation Conference. The first, the first conference here that Daphne has started so that that program will launch all over this country because we asked that simple question. I want to invite you to do something else. You have two inserts in your bulletin. You see this two-sided insert? It's, it's a brief snapshot, the larger of the two. It's a brief snapshot of the organizations that rely on FUMC every day, the organizations where Jesus is at work. And when we ask, what is our missional identity? You're looking at it. We feed our neighbors every single week by partnering with these organizations. We provide shelter every single night and day for neighbors by partnering with these. And sometimes these partnerships are financial, and other times you roll up your sleeves and you show up and say, here I am. Use me. Send me, Lord. So I want you to take this with you. These, these are the intersections where Christ is at work in this world. Why would we ever want to do anything that might jeopardize these relationships and change the missional impact of who we are because of each of these, our neighbors.
What does the future hold? I don't know. But I know who holds the future. And I know who holds us. And I know who holds our neighbors. I know who holds our enemies. I know who holds this church. And because I believe and because you believe in God's missional vision for our church, I just wonder if common ground for us as we move into these uncharted waters of all these denominational discernment conversations should be this firm footing to do something that we have always done together, and that is vision about who is God asking us to serve next? That's really the only type of discernment that we've ever done. Who is Christ calling us to serve today? That if we don't step up as a church, they might go hungry or lonely or exposed. Churches with a strong core and churches that will endure challenges ask, Lord, who, who do you need us to serve next? When the Son of Man comes in His glory, which could happen at any moment, He will say the, the only motion that has ever advanced the church of Christ is the forward motion into mission. And so as you prepare to come forward today, we always present our hands because it's very difficult to experience the grace of Christ with closed fists, right? I, I mean, we can try to stuff the bread down in there, but it doesn't work all that well. You've got to be receptive to God's grace. But the other thing, we can present ourselves to God in this way by asking some questions. Are we feeding emotions right now? Or are we feeding the hungry, hungry children? Are we blanketed with fear or are we actually handing out blankets to cold and homeless people? Are we visiting the doorways of doubt? Are we visiting our homebound so they're not lonely? Are, are we welcoming negativity? Are we welcoming strangers into our midst? Come with those questions at this sacred table where we've always asked, what's next, Lord? Who should we serve? Help me with something. I want us to say together our mission statement the United Methodist Church. You know it? Our mission is to make disciples of Jesus Christ for the transformation of the world. That's great. Say it again. Our mission is to make disciples of Jesus Christ for the transformation of the world. Memorize it. Breathe it. Remain focused on it. Do it. Live it. Be the mission, not only through your words and, and through your giving, but also through every ounce of ability that you have. Do not allow anything to distract us from our mission. We are a rare find in Christendom because we're a growing, multi-generational, forward-visioning church, an anchor church, a flagship church, a Jesus-centered and biblically-focused church rooted in Christian community that practices faithful stewardship so that we can carry the mission of Christ. To God be the glory for all that lies ahead of us. As we prepare now, we're going to need some nourishment.
to go back into the mission field before we shall meet again. Come ready for your heart to be changed, your cup to be filled. Let it be. Amen.